she was in the back of the room. She was probably, I tell, I tell people she's very elderly. I probably, I say 80 plus years old, but she made her way up to the front and interrupted who I was talking to. I mean, just came and interrupted the conversation, which candidly down South where I live, that's not something you do, <laughs> you know? So, but she grabbed my arm, my left, my left arm and looked at me and said, I was questioning if there is a God and I don't believe in miracles, but you are physical evidence that there is a God and he does miracles. And she said, thank you. Thank you. And then walked away. And I've never seen her at our church again. But I looked at these two men and these two men start crying right in front of me. I've never seen two men cry like this in public. You know, I mean, I'm, I grew up with men don't cry in public, right? You just throw your man up. Yeah. But all of a sudden I see these men cry and it got to them emotionally. And my minister was in the back and he witnessed this thing. And I look at him like, man, what's just going on here? But all of a sudden that's what came to me. What happened to me impacted somebody. And now I have a different calling. And that's what started me on this, uh, this journey that I'm on now. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, the inbound evangelist himself, Dan Moyle. And welcome, storytellers, to the podcast. I appreciate you being here and listening. Uh, my name is Dan Moyle. I am your host, and I am such a firm believer in the, the power of story and how it connects us, how it moves people. Uh, and this season, we're talking to inspirational storytellers, and I'm so excited to have an amazing storyteller coming up on the show. Real quick, uh, before I get to, to his story, a quick reminder. Our website has great resources available for you, thestorytellersnetwork.com. There's contact information for me if you want to chat. There are resources on how to tell great stories from you know Park Howell, Donald Miller, HubSpot, other folks out there. Uh, there are past episodes. So it's all there at thestorytellersnetwork.com. And if you want to subscribe and you're new, you can simply text the word storytellers to 31996, and you'll get a, a response back on how to subscribe either on Apple Podcasts or through uh, the Google Store or even through Spotify as well, uh, although that's only on the site. But anyway, there you go. 31996. Just text the word storytellers. Okay. So today's guest asks, are you ready for a new focus and a powerful purpose? And that just gets me fired up just saying it. Uh, he's an inspirational survivor, speaker, and author. And his thoughts on leadership have made him an internationally sought out speaker, again, internationally, right? Around the world. He's just a fantastic guy. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet uh, Dave and he is fantastic. Now, now, here's where it starts for him though. Back in uh, on January 15, 2009, Dave Sanderson was one of the last passengers off that plane that crashed into the Hudson River, best known as the Miracle on the Hudson, of course, and considered to be one of the most successful ditching in aviation history. Now, his book, Moments Matter, details the lessons that he learned from that miraculous landing, how to take a potentially tragic experience, what, he, what Dave calls your own personal plane crash, turn it into an opportunity to survive and create your own flight plan does this presentation all over the place. He's built a career as a motivational speaker, mentor, and author, as an average is over 100 speeches a year for major corporations around the world. So without further ado, let's get to Dave's story. Thanks for taking time today, Dave, to uh, speak with the Storyteller Network listeners. 
Dan, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be with you and your your audience. Yeah. So I, I had the privilege of meeting you at one of the, the podcast events, and we have mutual friends and stuff in common. I've heard your story. But but for those who aren't familiar, um, I, I want to get to your story in just a minute. But, but first, uh, we're, we're in this inspirational storyteller season. Do you consider yourself a storyteller, Dave? I do. I think the uh, way I sort of classify myself and the way I've been classified is inspirational storyteller and leadership. So that's sort of uh, leadership with purpose is sort of like the underneath the secondary. So that's how I, uh, that's how I classify myself. Yeah. And so you tell stories from the stage, uh, you tell stories on audio, on video, on social media. I mean, you do it everywhere. So <laughs> it makes yeah, we, sense. Yeah, you have to, cause you know, everybody has a different modality they reside in. So I've got to hit every modality and make sure I get to connect as many people as I can. Absolutely. Now, where do you think it starts for you as a storyteller? Does this go way back to when you were a, a child? Does this, did this start professionally for you? Where did that start to become a storyteller for, for Dave? I think it really started when I got involved in sales and, you know, and, and I learned, you know, not early, but probably, you know, five, six years into it, I was doing a lot of personal development and the, the best sales people that I was around and got to be trained with and uh, by told great stories. So I started telling stories probably in my second sales position. And it started taking me that direction, but I wasn't, there's really more about business. Uh, and then it sort of melded into something different after the miracle on the Hudson. Yeah. So, so great segue. Um, in your intro, I mentioned the miracle on the Hudson and how that impacted you. So how does that, like, like let's go back to that. What happened? How does that impact you? How does that become part of your journey? So, you know, it's impacted me. It's changed my life 180 degrees. And the reason why I tell us is this, I was not supposed to be on that plane. So I think I was supposed to be on that plane for a reason because I was on the five o'clock flight and I changed my flight, you know, about three hours before the scheduled takeoff time of that flight. So number one, I wasn't supposed to be on there. Second, um, I wasn't paying attention. And I tell people, it's like, you know, I, I was a typical heavy traveler. I know everything. I don't have to pay attention to anybody. Leave me alone. And all of a sudden you realize if something does go wrong, it all, you know, the team comes very important. Leadership comes very important and all these things. And I talk about book moments matter, how all these moments start to start, start playing into how important those things in my life were. And is that kind of the moment where you became more of a motivational speaker or like, like have you always talked about leadership when you were getting out of sales or is that the moment that defined where you are right now? I think that moment, uh, opened my eyes and opened my eyes to a number of different things. And, you know, what are you looking from spiritually, physically, emotionally, you know, it changed and opened my eyes on a lot of different levels. Cause no, I wasn't really, really even going to go speak and go into this world that I'm doing right now. But fortunately for me, I, you know, I got the opportunity to speak at my church that following Sunday. And that was just, you know, I was doing it for men's breakfast, which can it's, I gotta tell people there's only 40 or 50 guys eating pancakes. So it's not that big of a deal. And all of a sudden they invited half of Charlotte and five, 600 people showed up. And all of a sudden I had to deliver, you know, I was in sales, right? I, and in sales, I, you know, I was always, when I got to my time on stage, I had to deliver. So I knew I had to deliver. So I didn't have nothing to say. Fortunately for me, um, after I got done speaking, a couple of people wanted to talk to me. So I, I was there for an extended amount of time, which I tell people, it's amazing how things sort of come together because normally I would just gone, gone left, probably going to church, but I stayed to talk to people. And then a lady came up and, said something that changed the entire direction. I knew that I had a different calling, but I didn't know how to do it. Uh, so fortunately for me, I had great coaches and great mentors all my life. And one of those mentors uh, was somebody by the name of Tony Robbins, who I had a chance to travel with for over 10 years, being a head of security for. So fortunately for me, I was around a master storyteller who gave me coaching on how to do it. 
and the business side of how to do it likewise. Now, what did, so can you go back to that? What did she say that, that you were open to hearing that changed everything for you? Well, with Kaylee, I wasn't even open to talking to her. She, oh. she was in the back of the room. She was probably, I tell, I tell people she's very elderly. I probably, I say 80 plus years old, but she made her way up to the front and interrupted who I was talking to. I mean, just came and interrupted the conversation, which Kaylee down South where I live, that's not something you do, <laughs> you know? So, but she grabbed my arm, my left, my left arm and looked at me and said, I was questioning if there is a God and I don't believe in miracles you are physical evidence that there is a God and he does miracles. And she said, thank you. Thank you. And then walked away. And I've never seen her at our church again, but I looked at these two men and these two men start crying right in front of me. I've never seen two men cry like this in public. You know, I mean, I'm, I grew up with men don't cry in public, right? You just sort of man up. Yeah. But all of a sudden I see these men cry and it got to them emotionally. And my minister was in the back and he witnessed this thing. And I look at him like, man, what's just going on here? But all of a sudden that's what came to me. What happened to me impacted somebody. And, now I have a different calling and that's what started me on this, uh, this journey that I'm on now. Absolutely. So, so that you weren't necessarily open to hearing it, but you heard it, it, it impacted you. So you were at least wise enough to, to do that. And then you, you mentioned going back to your mentors and having those help you. How important as a storyteller is it to be ready to be coached? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's it, you have to have an open mind because one thing you learn when you go into this world, whether it's storytelling, speaking, whatever, writing books, whatever you want to call it, you know, you don't know everything. And one thing I'm, I'm, I was very fortunate of, back when I first got into my first job out of college, I had somebody who took me under his wing, who, who basically he, he started a business in 1929 and grew it to a multi-million dollar business. And he took me under his wing and he was basically coaching and mentoring me for 13 years. Because, you know, one of the things I did, I, and back, back, it was one of the smartest things I did because you think you know everything. I mean, you know, that's the thing. You come out of college, right? You feel good. You accomplish something. You get your first job. You're on your pathway. Man, I am Superman. Until you figure out you're not Superman. You know nothing. Basically, you have no experience, and you basically got a lot of book smarts, but not street smarts. And fortunately for me, I have people who always took me under their wing. And one thing I truly believe, Dan, is this: people come into your life at the time they're supposed to come into your life for a reason or purpose. And, and that, maybe, maybe you're not ready for that person. So they all of a sudden don't show up. And all of a sudden that one day they show up and that happened to me has happened to me many times in my life, which I'm very blessed to be able to do. Absolutely. And then, and then I would assume you feel a little bit of a calling then to, to give that same to others and pull them under your wing a little bit. Is that a great place to kind of have that community and grow yourself as well to be a mentor? Well, most definitely. And Kaylee, I've, I've always mentored kids here and there, you know, never consistently, but Something happened last summer that changed that and sort of lit the fire, ignited the fire. And so here's the backstory to that. So my, my, my first mentor, Bill, who I was referencing, who took me under his wing in 1983, called me to his office. My mom had just passed away. And, you know, being the eldest son, my dad was a mess. I, and people who are listening may have gone through this where you have a parent that passes away. The other parent is not ready for it, so they don't know how to deal with it. So the eldest children have to sort of deal, you handle it, right? Handle the business side of it. And that's what I and my sister, my sister and I were doing. So I was in the business mode the whole time. So when I got back, I called Bill and told him about this. And uh, he could sort of tell that I needed somebody to talk to. So he called me to his office. And one of the first things Bill said to me, he said, hey, I just want to let you know, I've got lung cancer. And that was his way of telling me he was probably not going to be around too much longer. And he did. He lasted probably another five or six months. But he went to his desk and opened his desk up and all of a sudden pulled out something and came over, sat next to me in his little den there. 
said, I want to give you this. And these were notes that he wrote, his mentor basically gave him. And he wrote in 1929 about the principles of success in business. And these were notes that he built his business on a multi-million dollar you know, movie theater business in the Southeast. And he said, all I ask is this, is I want to give this to you. Don't let it die with you. Please pass it on. So, of course, as smart as guys I am, what do I do? I put it in a journal and don't look at it, right? I, you know, and all of a sudden, last summer, I opened that journal up and found these notes. It's like, okay, here's my calling now. I'm going to take this. I'm going to pass this, these notes on that I was given from back in the 20s to, to at least 10 people this year and teach them so they can teach 10 people and 10 people and sort of magnify it out. So that's what I'm doing now is I'm finding 10 people who really want to learn these lessons that I had the opportunity to learn and mentor these people for the next uh, 12 months. If those people want to show up and they will show up in my life when they're supposed to show up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, and that's, that's amazing sharing them personally like that. Have you thought about then too, in this super connected world and everybody can have a book and I mean, you already have a book about putting those in something like that then as well, or is it really more of a personal connection that you want to make? Well, that is, that is in the game plan, Dan. I'm glad you said that because that's in the game plan, but I want to take 10 people through this first. I want to really, because I think you learn as much by mentoring somebody and teaching the principles as you do just holding them on yourself. So I want to be able to immerse myself and teach these people, and then I will be turning this into a book. I know there's a book here. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's, he's, and I tell people, there's nothing earth-shattering around what he gave me, but the way he put it together, right, and back in 1929, he got this, these from his mentor. And I never, of course, I never knew his mentor. His mentor passed away a long, long time ago. But he got this in 1929. I tell people what, what really inspired me once I started looking at these this summers, he got this in 1929, right at the beginning of the Depression, right, when, right before we went into a world war. Yeah. And he was starting a business. And, I mean, and these lessons he took, he built a business in the middle of a Depression to a multi-million dollar business, which is, I don't know if it's still, I know he passed it on his, his family, but I don't know how that's going today, but it's an amazing story about just taking the basics and really immersing yourself in these basics. That's what, yeah. that's what I feel passionate about now. Yeah. And, and what a cool way to frame it too, in that story of his mentor brought him to him, who brought him to you, who now you're passing him along. That's just a cool story. So, yeah. Which, which kind of leads me to the next thing. You, you, you called Tony Robbins a master storyteller. Yep. What makes someone a master storyteller in your eyes? I, I believe somebody who, I think everybody's got a story, but I think you got to get people, there's, and I talked about this when we started talking that, so I'll go back and I'm going to go forward. I talked about, you know, modalities. Mm -hmm. You know, people reside in either a visual, auditory, kinesthetic modality most of the time. Sometimes people have a gustatory olfactory, you know, you know, eating or taste and smell, which, Smelling is the strongest modality you have. Yeah. Most people reside in those three modalities. So I think a great storyteller is the one who can weave in each modality and each story in a way that touches people, which gets people to focus, gets people to hear in the way they want to be able to absorb information. I think the greatest storytellers I've been around are able to do that. And that's what I'm really focused on now is improving that skill set is, is being able to weave my story in a way that touches visualizes for people and they can hear it in auditory mode likewise yeah and and how often do you work on that craft as a storyteller are you constantly researching and working on it is it a four-hour day thing like how do you do that so you know i i'm always looking how to improve on how i do it and i i've done over 1200 talks around the world so mm -hmm. i've got i i know that i know sort of my content and i'm always adding content that's another thing too which gives me you know energy 
to be able to deliver it. But you know, what I do is this way, I really, I, I, I go back and when I hear myself talk and I record, I try to get the recording, I'm looking for the words I'm saying. So sometimes I, you know, I've, I've mentioned three different modalities in three different ways. I talk about touching and visualizing and hearing, right? Those are three modalities, but I look for those, some of those words. Maybe I say, you know what? Maybe this next talk, I'm going to be around a group of baby viewers. I'm going to talk more of a more of a kinesthetic talk where I'm more about touching and feeling, right? Instead of a visual talk when I'm talking to younger people so they can see it and, and you know, things like that. So that's how I start sort of playing on what I do is how do I use the words? Because I've seen Tony do this on stage. He's a master at it. He uses certain words to certain people in a certain way because he knows how he can connect with them in a different modality. Mm-hmm. So also what I heard you say there, I picked up on knowing your audience. That's yeah. got to be pretty vital, right? I, I agree. I think, you know, and what I'm trying to do now is people who, who ask me to speak, I ask now, I don't get it a lot, Dan. I, you know, I probably get it now 30 to 40% of the time. I ask him for basically a breakdown of the, of the room, right? It's female to male, you know, generational breakdown. So I know sort of how I'm going to frame this, this talk and my story in a way that I know the words I'm going to use. And I know what I'm going to show. Because some of the things I show now, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've seen me speak on my full talk, but I actually put something, pull something out so people can actually hear what was said that day from the ferry when I got on the ferry. So all of a sudden they're in the middle of the game and they're hearing all this stuff going on. And I'm like, all of a sudden I'm getting to somebody in a different modality and all of a sudden you can see them connecting. So these are the things I work on all the time in my story. Yeah, that's cool. That's fascinating. We, we have to keep working on our craft no matter where we are in it in order to continue to improve and reach a different audience, or whatever. So that's, that's good encouragement. So thank you for sharing that, Dave. Um, why do you think, that stories can move us the way they do. Uh, and, and how do you get to that point where you're moving people? I mean, obviously like we've talked about, but also just why do they move us like they do? Well, I, th- I think people, and I think the best storytellers are the ones who can connect quickly. So you have a relationship with that person. And one of the things I've learned is, you know, even when you're in a big room of a thousand plus people, I've got to be able to connect with each person in that room. So I think when, when you're connecting with somebody, whether it's, once again, whether you're looking at them, whether you're speaking to them, or even when you go up and you're like, I walk around and sometimes I'll go up to somebody, I'll, I'll pat them on the shoulders to you know that I'm connecting. I've got that, that connection. Now they got that feeling. Once they have that feeling with me and I'm telling the story, they're, they're in the story with me. See, one of the goals I have is to take people inside with me. So, you know, I, I, you know, I think I was one of, the, one of the people who could actually take you inside a situation which you, you may have never, ever, or may never, ever experience. If I can do that, let actually, actually live it with me through my story, now I've got something with you. And I get people moved emotionally. And once you get moved emotionally, people now, you have that connection. You have that connection pretty much for life unless, unless you do something that uh, destroys that connection. Yeah. And, 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 I, and I've heard in other interviews and heard from people, maybe you can reference this a little bit or speak to this a little bit. Story and emotion are what move us. Our brain fires so much automatically, but when we get an emotional connection, that makes a change for us. And so that's more powerful than just facts and figures. Is that kind of why what you do is so world changing? Yeah, I think see. see. People, and I'm going to use now a sales vernacular just because I was in sales, mm-hmm. people buy emotionally. Mm-hmm. They back it up logically, right? I mean, that's, not, that's, that's basic stuff. But yes, so when you're speaking, people buy that story emotionally first. 
And all of a sudden, they come around and say, well, I can understand how that could happen because there's nowhere else to land a plane. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, you got them emotionally because you're going down to a river. It's like, well, why are we going to the river? Well, there's no other place to go. So now they're backing up logically. So, yes, you have to touch them emotionally. You know, meaning equals emotion, right? Emotion is about your life. So, I mean, that, so meaning is your life. So you attach a meaning to something. All of a sudden, you bring the emotion out, and all of a sudden, they can build that into their life. So let's, uh, I want to kind of take a little bit of a tangent. I want to get, I want to hear, speaking of emotion and meaning, I want to hear a little bit more about your story on the Hudson. Okay. What, you know, I, I hope that nobody listening is ever in a plane crash right. or, or a rough landing because it was a landing. You survived. It's good. Yep. But what, what was that like? I mean, and, and, then my other, and then my secondary question for that, then I'll get to is, is I want to talk about how, what you did afterwards. Cause that to me is even more amazing. But yep. what was that like going into the river like that? So you mean like the last moment? Yeah. And that's why I don't, I don't talk about that a lot unless I'm really asked about it. Mm-hmm. Because I, I tell people it's that last moment, which was probably one of the most emotional parts for me. Because once you put your head down, you know, you've gone over the bridge, you're about 60 seconds away from either dying, being crippled, or coming back. There's basically three options, right? You survive, you survive injured, or you die. I mean, it's pretty much those are options. You put your head down. I tell people what happened to me, and I contrasted that with some other people who've gone through traumatic life experiences. Uh, that's why I did my TED Talk, uh, is that you see the movie of your life pass before your eyes. I mean, you put your head down, and all of a sudden, you sort of, get, you sort of give it up, because one thing, you, Dan, you realize when you're going down, you have no control. One thing you control is your mind. I mean, you're not, you're not flying a plane. You can't control everybody else's emotion, but you can control your mind. So I saw the movie of my life passing before my eyes. Went all the way back to when I was a kid and playing Little League Baseball and, you know, the, the vacations that we took to go see monuments. And I was seeing things with vivid and clarity that I hadn't seen for 40, 50 years. So then what I did is like, well, am I the only guy that ever did this, right? Is this just me? So I had a lady who I know who's a good friend of mine who survived the earthquake in Haiti. She was in basically in rubble for five plus hours in, in rubble. They couldn't find her. They found her. I asked her, I said, how? What was that like for you? I mean, you're, you're in rubble. I mean, I had mine was happening pretty quick. Yours was extended. She goes, I really saw the movie of what happened in my life. I had clarity. I'm like, wow. Is this really what happens when people are sort of going out? Is they get clarity about their purpose and what's going on? And I think that's what happened to me. And that's why it was so emotional for me is all of a sudden my purpose really was not only realized was coming into play. And then you seemingly immediately put that purpose to work. So as everybody's getting off the plane, you didn't just escape. I understand you actually helped others, right? Yeah. And Kaylee, I'll be very candid. It wasn't my game plan. Yeah. The game plan because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a business guy. I put plans together. I do strategies. Tony talking about strategies, right? Aisle up out strategy. That was my strategy. But when I got to the aisle, then I heard something in my head that changed my strategy. It was my mother. And my mother had passed away, like I mentioned, back in 1997. But I heard her say something in my head that sort of sort of triggered me. And it was like, if you do the right thing, God will take care of you. And, you know, when I tell people, as I started thinking about that, and I didn't think about this at the moment, very candid. This is not what I thought about at the moment, but years later. Is my mother never told me what to do. She always made me make a decision. And my mother always said there's positive consequences and negative consequences to every decision. That's what I've told my kids. So I think my mother was saying, okay, this is, your, this, this is it. You, you make a decision. You, don't, you can go out and nothing else will be said about it. Or you could do something different. And I decided to go help people. So that's why I made my way towards the back of the plane. Got behind everybody and started making my way out like everybody else. 
And then all of a sudden, I'm like looking at the right. Like the first shot that I have is on the right side at 10F. I'm out of here. But when I got to the door, I started getting out. Like everybody else on the wing, you see the picture of people on the wing. There's no room on the wing. It's already filled up. So you look at the boat. There's no room on the boat. So all of a sudden, I'm deciding to play in waist deep in 36-degree water for seven minutes, holding on to this little lifeboat. And people keep asking this, why did you hold on to the lifeboat? I'm like, well, people kept yelling to hold on, hold on. Because what happened was that little lifeboat was floating out into the river because of the current. And they, like I and Dan, I bet you and everybody who's listening, who reads the, who the little brochure in the plane? No, no one reads that thing. I do now, but no one reads it. It's actually tethered to the plane, but they didn't know that. So that's why I'm holding on to the little lifeboat for seven minutes, waist deep in the water. And that's how I, I became one of the last people out of the plane, if not the last passenger, because Captain Sonnenberger was the last person out of the plane. Mm-hmm. So I guess the, the question maybe people are listening or are ready to ask or want to hear, um, do you and Captain Sullenberger, uh, do you, you and Sully have lunch now? <laughs> uh, we, we have spent a couple of days together, but <laughs> he is so busy right now like I am. Yeah. We're all going different directions. We all have our different missions right now. Mm-hmm. So I have been, I had the honor of being and meeting him and being with him and actually speaking on stage with him, which oh, was, wow. was, was great to do. But I don't see him too much anymore because we're all going our different ways. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I, I've interviewed uh, storytellers of all different uh, walks of life, all different things. Uh, what, I, what I love about this season is talking to speakers in particular. Um, how do you approach what you do uh, as a speaker with story? Do you have a framework of like, I want to tell these three stories and these three lessons. Do you just tell stories? How, how do you go about that framework? There's two things that I do. And this is, it started with, Fortunately, when I had the opportunity to be with Tony, we were talking, Tony Robbins, we were talking. And, you know, he, one thing he told me, and he is totally true, and I've taken this to heart, is, you know, never take a note on stage. you got to know it. it's got to come from the heart. So, you know, he, know, he never takes a note on stage. So I, I've never taken a note on stage. So what I do, to answer your second question, is this. I want to know the audience. I want to know the makeup. But if I don't know it, I get there early so I can see it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, okay. This audience is looking for leadership or teamwork or they want to say about this. Maybe it's a faith talk. So all of a sudden now I'm thinking, okay, I've got all these different stories I can tell and I've only got 45 to 60 minutes. Which ones do or have the most impact? So then I go through, I sort of rack through the computer in my brain, right? Okay, yeah, I can pull this one out, this one out, this one out. How do I put it together? Start putting it together in sequence and then, and then put myself in the proper state to go for it. So, uh, but it all comes down to when I walk in that room or get that, that pre- pre-list of where's the audience what's this what's this conference about right what's this conference about or this means about then i'm pulling this stuff out say okay i've got this one this one because i got like 30 stories that i can pull away but it all depends on what the outcome of the audience is that's why i connect and how i connect how do you maintain that catalog of stories so well so that you remember them and know where to weave them in and stuff so First, of course, back, this is nine years ago, I had, I wrote, started writing the stories down, right? I had, but what I started doing with each one, I have, I had a little card. I've got one like right here. It's like right here. It's like just trigger words. So it's like old lady, right? I'm going to tell the story. I just told you about the lady, the old lady, right? Or, you know, Red Cross. So I trigger the words. So I've learned how, and one of the things I've learned being, you know, being around Tony for all those years is how to really make those connections, right? Be able to, 
get information quickly because if you can get that quickly, you can impact people. So, okay, so I have these trigger words. So I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm going to do Mont Blanc. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I have the trigger words and all of a sudden the story goes in my brain. Like, okay, that's the story. Here's where it's going. So I I have trigger words for every one of my stories, which helped me very quickly go like, a, it's like a computer, right? You just put it in, right? This is, it comes out. So it's all, these are the three stories or four stories, depending on how much time. If I got 20 minutes, you get one story, you know, that's pretty much you get. So if I got 60 minutes, you get three to four stories, right? Mm-hmm. So it sounds kind of, I mean, it, it, it sounds maybe, maybe simplistic or common sense, but it's a matter of, of practicing and knowing them and being purposeful. I mean, right? Most definitely. Yeah. Most definitely. Now, you know, and I, and I think I was doing that subliminally until I did my TED talk. Mm-hmm. Or it had to be intentional because if you, you probably did talk to you, there's dead talks, right? You got like 18 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're a storyteller, man, you can tell stories all day long. <laughs> so you got 18 minutes to get this, get your message out. Right. And with impact cameras are on you. 500 people are looking at you. You can't just take a step off the dot. And by the way, this little clock's running down. If it gets to 18 minutes and one seconds, you're lost, <laughs> right? You don't get the video, right? You don't get yeah. the gold, right? You don't get the quan, as they would say, right? Jerry McGuire would say. So uh, yeah. that taught me, how I t- and I tell people, people say, well, how much did you train for that? So I said, well, you know what was interesting? I put over 200 hours of training into that TED Talk. You know, because I, I want to make sure it's just perfect, right? But then you get there, and all of a sudden, all hell's breaking loose. Excuse my language, right? <laughs> so then all of a sudden, you got to regroup. Uh, but I think that TED Talk taught me how to really do this intentionally, how to do it. It, do you think that, that those TED Talks are kind of the top echelon currently of speaking? I think people and speakers look like that, but after experiencing one, I don't think so. Mm. I, you know, I, I think it's great training. It's great exposure, right? It's a great venue. I, I mean, and I would, I would do another one. I would, if, if, but I've had to, I had to build time in the train for it. That's the thing about it. I think that the great storytellers are, are I mean, you know, people, and I know Tony's done a TED Talk, but his TED Talk, you know, basically was, <laughs> I saw his TED Talk. Tony just went for it, right? So um, I think people look at that, and if you can get on that big one, one big stage, but I really think it's those every, those events that you get around so many different people, how you can have more impact doing those events than the one TED Talk. Yeah, sure. Um, what do you think, Dave, is one of your biggest challenges with storytelling? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges I probably have is I don't want to get stale. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, because one thing I've always remembered and, and I've learned this for years and years is everybody that I'm in front of is probably the first time they've seen me. So I've got to bring it and I've got to bring it. And sometimes I've been, you know, some people have seen me two or three times, right? So what I do when I, and I've gone to an event where people may have seen me two or three times and I do a lot of Red Cross events, right? And so, so, so what I do with those to make sure I'm not stale for them is I bring out a different story. Hmm. I'll bring another one out, right? Just a sort of little variety because, you know, there's six human needs. The second the second human need people have is a need for variety. So I want to give people certainty that they're going to get certain certainty, but I also want to give them variety. Hmm. So what I do to make sure that I, you know, I don't get do that is I don't get stale is I bring out some of the new stories and maybe even tell it from a different perspective. Like the story I told you earlier about going down that last moment, right? I may tell that from a whole different perspective, from a family perspective, you know, instead of my personal perspective. Yeah. It's almost like a, like a musician 
they may play the same song again and again, but there's variations and stuff just to get it a little bit of variety, I guess, right? Well, yeah, you know, I listened to an interview the other day, uh, one of these things called Ride Alongs, right, with James Cord. He had Elton John on, and Elton John's played with Tiny Dancer a billion times, right? He's playing over, and then he asks her that question. He says, you know, he puts himself in that mode. It's like, you know, I just got to put myself in 1974, and you know, when I played it for the first time. And also, you can see his eyes. Yeah, this is, I think, one of the cool things about a great story. You can see their eyes sort of roll back. Like, okay, they're going back in their brain and putting themselves in the state of, I wrote this in 1974. Let me, let me put it like I did the first time. Yeah. And that's what I've learned by watching these great people, these great entertainers, how they do it. The Paul McCartney's of the world, right? Mm-hmm. How, how, I mean, this guy's played these songs you know, back in the USSR how many billions of times? Right. And he still brings it, right? Yeah. So there's a strategy behind it. Always model the best. So one of the things Tony taught me is model the best. So I always, that's why I always reach out to the top 1% of any, any area that I want to get better at, whether it's speaking, financially, emotionally, I find that top person or top 10 people, I'll go for them. And I'll nice. say, teach me, teach me the strategies. <clears throat> yep. so, so again, being open to improvement is important then. Constant and never-ending improvement, can I? Yeah. Constant yeah. never-ending improvement. Um, do you also read quite a bit? Like a lot of, you know, we hear all these, the, the top CEOs read one book every day or something crazy, right? Do you read a lot too? Well, you know, I used to read more, but I had to get a different strategy because of how busy I am now. So I download a book a week and I listen, I listen to at least one book a week. Gotcha. So yes, I'm at least getting one book. I may not have time to read it, but when I'm, I'm putting it in my ears, all of a sudden, right, I'm hearing it and all of a sudden it's in my brain and all of a sudden things will trigger, right, through the week. Well, I heard this in this book. Mm-hmm. Go back. Now I can use that content. Yeah. Uh, which which kind of leads me to the ne- to another question I was thinking about for you. Um, technology. We talk about the different modalities in which we learn, different platforms we all consume from. But what I've seen from you, Dave, over the last couple of years is uh, using all these different, all the, all the different media that's available. Uh, Alexa briefs, uh, using podcasting, using Facebook Live, using just videos. Now, and I'm going to, I'm going to say this as politically correct as I can. Uh, you, you're probably in your fifties. Mm-hmm. Don't think of somebody at that age, necessarily, right? That, that's all the kids stuff, right? How do you attack that and, and try to stay relevant and engaged with the newest technologies and not feel overwhelmed? Great question. It's because I could put myself around people who are around it, mm-hmm. uh, who you know, millennials, Gen Xers, I put myself around those kind of people intentionally. I mean, I met a lady last year. I spoke in Canada. I'll give you a story. I was speaking in Canada, a group of 500 plus women. Great audience for me. Love it. Women are a great audience for me. But there was a lady who was there who was speaking right after me. And she was, she's the number one social media expert in Canada. Basically started out in Silicon Valley. And now it's taken to Canada. And all of a sudden, she's like maybe 35, right? And so I became connected with her. I start connecting with these people, right, who are like that age, so they can keep me on, or keep me fresh. I mean, I'm coming out with some new technology coming out here pretty soon, which I'm pretty excited about, but I even did this for my TED Talk. You know, I brought out this thing called video scribing, which no one ever heard about. And I've talked to a guy who's basically in his 20s, lives in Utah, who figured out this technology, and I say, teach me the technology. And I used it in my TED Talk, and now I use it every time I go. So it's putting yourself around the people you want to be like. And so that's why I still do basketball stats at the high school. You know, girl, people say, well, your daughters are all graduated. All That's because it keeps me around the youth, keeps me around what's going on in that technology world, right? And I can see what they're doing. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, 
where can I use something in that to connect to the millennials, right? Because that's yeah. a huge market for me. Or even the Gen Zers, whatever the heck we call it right now. <laughs> Post-millennial, I don't know, whatever, whatever yeah. Whatever they are, I don't know. <laughs> I think MTV called them the builders or something, like just weird, anyway. Anything when- I can do to connect, but that's how I stay on top of the technology. And I put myself around people. So my team, one more thing, I've got a baby boomer on my team, I've got a Gen Xer on my team, and I've got a millennial on my team. So I got all the different, and I really, and I didn't do this, Dan, until I talked to a guy named Brad Salas. And Brad is the, one of the foremost authorities on generational strategies. And he and I, I heard him speak in Michigan. We were in Michigan together, and I was speaking after him. I said, Brad, this is great stuff. Teach me. So he told me, he said, you got to have somebody at every level on your team to keep. So that's why I now have a millennial on my team. I mean, she, she talked about fireball. She could do 15 things at one time, right? I'm, I'm working trying to get a PowerPoint up. And she's like, so that's how I do it. Yeah. Uh, well, next time you're in Michigan, I want to make my way over to you because uh, I'm, in, I'm in Michigan. So um, that's awesome, man. I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm just loving this. What, so, so you're someone who motivates and inspires others. Who, <clears throat> who or what story has really changed things for you over the years or maybe a few or whatever? Like, is there anybody in particular who, uh, or, or a life-changing story that has impacted you greatly? I think that's a great question because um, I hear stories all the time and they impact me some way, but it really came from something that I started sharing and, and it came probably about a year and a half ago and it just, it just came out randomly. I don't know where it came from, but I started telling the story and, and here's the story. I'm sitting exactly where I am right now. My wife's in the house. My wife, my, I built an office about 75 feet out of my house. So I need us a piece of quiet. I have my man cave here. It's my man cave. <laughs> And she called me and she got a call from one of our neighbors down the street. And they were two elderly ladies. And she said, well, you know, they, they need some help getting their TV on. And can you go down and help them? I'm busy. You know, I'm pretty good at turning TVs on. And of course you're going to do whatever you can for your neighbors. I tell people, I mean, you can do anything for your neighbor, right? They're having a challenge. And so I walked down the street, help these ladies with their TV. No big deal. I'm pretty good at getting TVs on. I'm really good at getting TVs on. But I get done, maybe five minutes, maybe not even that much. He said, we stay for milk and cookies. So, yeah, I love milk and cookies, right? <laughs> who don't like milk and cookies? Especially from two older ladies who could probably bake, right? I mean, I'm all in. Yeah. So they're getting milk and cookies. I'm sitting on their couch, and I'm flipping through their books, right, on their coffee table, and I see these books. I open this one book, and the book is pictures of concentration camps. Now, I love World War II history. Hmm. I'll listen to it. I'll watch it. Anything there's a show on, I'll watch it, you know, anything. So they come back out, he's milking cookies. I said, hey, where did you get this? This is, this is an amazing picture. She goes, they both said, we were there. They rolled up their sleeves to show me these numbers down their arm. I said, whoa. Wow. I said, whoa. I said, let me record the story. I mean, they were 70 plus, 80 years old, right? They're not going to be around. They have passed on. They weren't going to be around much longer. I said, they won't, they won't, say, we, we won't let you record it, but we'll tell you the story. I heard this story about being in a concentration camp and surviving. I said, that story right there is that all of a sudden I started realizing these people, these two ladies survived one of the most horrific situations in the history of the world to not only survive, but thrive. Mm. I said, how can I use this to help other people who are going through these, these experiences? And all of a sudden that story right there, I, I said that story, all of a sudden I had people flooding the stage. They wanted to tell me their traumatic life experience. How can they, you know, and I like, I start connecting people who've gone through these experiences, right? I'm like, wow, that one story just came. 
I mean, this came out of my mind. I mean, I was just set on stage for no reason. Mm-hmm. It's now opened up a whole different world for me. Yeah. So I think that story, if you go back, that's a long way of answering your question, Dan. There's a lot of stories that I hear. And I, I've heard people tell stories like that have impacted me. But that story right there, when I said it the first time, I didn't know how I was going to play. But all of a sudden, it's opened up a whole different avenue for me. It's, it's always impacted me every time I tell it. Absolutely. And, if, and it feels like part of the lesson there, too, is that stories connect us, which is kind of a common sense thing. But like picturing people flooding the stage to tell you their story because they, they need that outlet and it connects us. So just like, that's an incredible humanity thing right there. Yeah. And then wow. and, and more so how I connected that up is like, you know, if I can do this, yeah, it's, it sort of tells you if you're having a challenging day or you've had a challenge, it's, and it's really, it really started when I spoke after Hurricane Irma. This is where I first spoke it, so down in Florida. I was speaking Hurricane Irma, right? Traumatic life experience. I was connecting the dots. My story in that. And I was with the Red Cross. But then what happened, people start coming up because uh, what they were saying is, yeah, we lost this, we lost this. But man, I never, I never had anything like that. And all of a sudden I started realizing there's always somebody worse out there has done something, has survived something worse. What if I can give you that contrast from stage? But you know what? Yeah, you're having a bad day, Dan. Yeah, you've had a real bad day, right? But you know right. what? These ladies survived something that no, six million people did survive, right? Hmm. let's let's talk let me connect you up with that let me let you connect with people who go through worse things than you on give you a contrast of if you think you're having a bad day let me tell you what a bad day really is <laughs> yeah right? can man up and or woman up and, and get your get your thing going right yep i'll help you do that so that's opened up a whole new way for me to, to help people hmm. so on the technology side of things yep. you're on multiple platforms you're right. on the stage you're on digital you're in podcasts you're you're everywhere right, right. um do you have a favorite platform? Well, speaking on stage is definitely my favorite because I can impact a lot of people personally. But Kenley, that, that technology you just mentioned a moment ago has allowed me to now go around the world. Mm-hmm. That's changed a lot of things for me because now I can get these brief, these one or two minute things out, con- thoughts out. And people from Australia or England or Israel are now contacting me. We're, we're on stage. I'm with that group. Well, if I'm in East Lansing, Michigan, I'm in East Lansing, Michigan. But if I can do that, now this is getting me global. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's probably going to be my favorite. But the video is also becoming a very, because now, you know, video, if I do it the correct way, I can get around the world that way. Likewise, people now see me. And t- you know, they can't touch me, but they can see me and relate yeah. to me. So I think those are probably my two favorites. And video is so, it, it almost, it almost feels like you said it, Dave, you can't touch me, but you can see me. It almost feels face to face and personal. It's probably, you know, one of the most personal, but I also think like, I love podcasts because I'm in somebody's head almost. If you're wearing earbuds, I'm in your head. <laughs> so it's just so, it's so cool to see the different technologies. Um, I even still like Twitter for stuff. I'm trying so, to get off Twitter a little bit because it's just so, it's all the time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I, but I think, you know, I started with that. I think it's a great tool, but now it's being so overused. I mean, it's just, I don't know how people Twitter all the time. Or tweet I, all the time. I don't know how yeah. to do it. I just I, keep up. I, I'll get on when I'm watching my Red Wings uh, or if I want to talk about something else kind of inter- like, but yeah, I, I actually love Instagram right now. That's yeah. where I love spending my time. That's a hot place right now is Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's just so cool to see everybody's perspective, right? See their stories through their eyes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. 
It's awesome, man. Well, Dave, I, I appreciate your time. And this has been an absolute blast. Uh, as I said, if you're in Michigan next time, I'm going to keep an eye out on your schedule. And I, I'm going to I will be in Michigan. I think I'll be in Michigan either September or October. I'll never let, let you know. If, and then once again, if anybody's out there who's – if you go out to my schedule, see if I'm in your area, you know, contact me. Say, I'd love to come here to speak, and I'll put you on my personal guest list, and we'll, we'll make it happen that way. And, and uh, if you want to check it out, you know, you can check me out on my website. I can find it at davesandersonspeaks.com. Yeah. Check me out because that way you know where I'm at. And check my uh, daily flash briefing. That's called Dave Sanderson Declassified. And uh, stay connected with me that way. Fantastic. And I'll link to all that in the show notes. Now, before I let you go, if yep. you if somebody said to you, Dave, you're done telling stories, you got to find something else to do, what would your last story be that you'd want to share? I think the last story would be is, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I haven't been asked that question. I think the last story, it would be something around the faith aspect. But, you know, when the opportunity, I would probably say that I went to church with a lady. That would probably be right up there. But when I got to, got to do a podcast in Taiwan, and it was for Radio Free China, I would tell this story. And I would say, because this story tells sort of how things sort of start playing out. Here I do this podcast, this interview in, in Taiwan for Radio Free China, right? And they translate it into Mandarin. So now I'm in two of the largest languages in the world, right? Mm. So, but I didn't think anything of it. You do your thing, you come home, right? But later that year, and I was, I was speaking a lot, especially in churches at that time. I was home and I went to church. It was the Sunday before Pentecost. I think it was the first weekend in May, maybe. Maybe second weekend in May, somewhere around there. And all of a sudden, my minister... Who, who knew what I was doing. I didn't find this out till later. His daughter was on a mission or a, some kind of trip to Beijing and heard my interview in Mandarin <laughs> and called her dad and said, hey, somebody from your church is over here talking. And I didn't know this until after. So here he is in the middle of the sermon. He's starting to rock and roll, right? I'm there doing my thing. I'm just start focusing in. And all of a sudden, he tells, tells a story about Jesus' last words. And this is the story I would tell. Jesus' last words. His last words to the disciples on the mountain, mountain right, his apostles, they're there. You'll go around the world to Judea, Samaria, and the world, and the Holy Spirit will fill you. And he says, and that's what Dave Sanderson's doing. And also my daughter's like, Dad, like, hey, Dad, are you woke, waking up? I say, yeah, I'm awake now. Everybody's looking at me now, right? <laughs> but also I realize that's what's happening, is my message is now going around the world. And this is maybe the mission that I'm put on, put on earth for, right? Is to share, maybe not from, total faith perspective, but yeah, if you believe strong enough or whatever you believe in, things do come true. And I think that'd be the last story I would tell. Awesome. It's a great story to go out on. Yep. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, like I said, we'll link to everything in the show notes, Dave. Thanks for your time today, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me today. All right. So cool. What a guy. Thank you so much, Dave, for coming on the Storytellers Network podcast. I really do appreciate it, as I said. And thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to connect with Dave, as I mentioned, all the links are in the show notes. Uh, check him out. Buy his book. Watch his TED Talk. It's all there. Uh, just a, a great guy. A genuine good dude who wants to spread a good word. So connect with Dave. And if you enjoyed our episode and you think that somebody else needs to hear it, please consider sharing it all over social media, text them, email it, just tell somebody, share it with others so that others can get some inspiration from Dave Sanderson. So there you go. Uh, and if you want to share your story with me, just go to the contact page on the storytellersnetwork.com, hit contact Dan, send me an email and we can have ourselves a conversation too. So there you have it. That's this episode of the Storytellers Network. Until next time, here's to telling our stories and having stories to tell. Cheers. Thank you.